scripture reading tonight comes from Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. I have the privilege tonight to introduce our speaker. Not a stranger to the church here at Dalreda. Um, might be a stranger by name in the bulletin if you saw Adam Gifford. Uh, assuming that it's another Gifford that we have around, you know him as Simba. Um, I think the, the elders made an unwritten rule that we have to keep a Gifford on staff for a number of years. Um, transitioning from GIF, now uh, having Simba working with the college group. He had worked with us for a year now, uh, has done an outstanding job. Liked him so much that Will took him away, and now he's going to be working with the youth group for the next year. So like I said, we're going to keep another Gifford on staff. Um, however, Simba's the last one, so I don't know what we're going to do after that, but uh, I'm very excited about Simba speaking to us tonight. I know that you will learn a lot from, uh, from him and what he has studied. You can tell by um, the, way that he interacts with, the way he interacts with people, his love for people, and his love for the Lord. And so I don't want to take up any more of his time, but I want to make sure that you know him by name, um, but make sure... Uh, to encourage him even more, and we're glad that you're going to continue working with the church here at Dalreda for another year. So, You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, something occurred to me. I first started uh, actually preaching my sophomore year of college after Billy uh, recommended me to a congregation. And when I was preparing my lesson back my sophomore year, I remember the first time I heard Billy speak. And I thought it was so cool that he started his sermon with a prayer. And so I did. And ever since, ever since then, I've done the exact same thing. I've always started my sermon with a prayer. But every congregation I've been to, unless they know Billy or have heard him speak, have probably thought, oh, yeah, that's Simba's thing. That's, that's kind of what he does. And so this is kind of awkward because now you know I'm just plagiarizing Billy's idea. Before we start, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity that we have to come here and to look into your word and to the words of life that you give us, the instructions that you give us on how to live a better life and live closer to you. Father, we're thankful that you are with us and that life has purpose as long as you are in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. These are the opening words to the book of Ecclesiastes, and it could be that this mindset is the reason that it seems Ecclesiastes isn't studied very much. Ecclesiastes is often referenced for uh, a second-to-last verse, which is talking about fear God and keep his, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. But then when you look at the book itself, a lot of people seem to think it's pessimistic, depressing, because he keeps talking about Vanity, futility, worthlessness. And it is kind of depressing to think about. If you think about it like that. I don't. I argue that Ecclesiastes is actually one of the happiest books of the Bible. That instead it is about worthfulness and hope and inspiration for living. It just goes about it in a little different way. So turn over to Ecclesiastes if you haven't already, because we'll be spending most of the time here. 
we'll have a brief overview of the, of the book itself, but very quickly I'd like to mention um, the authorship. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but a lot of people assume that it's uh, Solomon who wrote it. Some people contend that it's not Solomon. Some might say that it's someone writing on behalf of Solomon. Someone might say it's writing as if they were Solomon. Some might even contend that there are three different people who write this book. I'm not going to give an opinion. I'm not going to give any facts. But it's for that reason and for that ambiguity that is within this book itself that from this point on for the rest of this sermon, we will refer to the author as he does himself, as the preacher, as he does in verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the preacher gives us this book. And his two favorite words, as you'll see throughout, are vanity and futility. These ideas of pointlessness, of worthlessness, of nothing. In fact, one time when he uses this idea of vanity, he gives sort of an illustration along with it. He says, vanity and grasping for the wind, so that your mind kind of thinks of someone out Maybe uh, I picture a meadow, personally. Uh, Someone out in a meadow, and they're grasping for the wind, hoping to try and catch it. It's pointless. They'll never reach it. And if you realize how he uses vanity and futility throughout the book, you realize what the book is about. It's about life. Not just the preacher's life, not just the person that he's writing to, life in general. The life of a human being. And we're going to look at, very quickly, several different ways that he uses vanity and futility to describe life. And while it may seem depressing, once again, I believe that this is actually encouraging from a certain point of view. So we start off in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So when we get this list, we get this list of all of these things that are vain, futile, pointless. The very first one is everything. Everything is pointless. We're going to go on a journey with the with the preacher as we go throughout this book to see all these aspects of life. In chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. In chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. So we know that everything is vanity according to the preacher but now he's saying everything done under the sun he's being a little more specific everything on this earth that is done is pointless once again in chapter 2 in verse 1 he says I said to myself come now I will test you with pleasure so enjoy yourself and behold it too is futility so he says even pleasure joy is vanity Chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Then I said to myself, As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, This too is vanity. Here's a man who describes himself as one of the 
wisest men. And he says, that wisdom, also vanity. Chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. All the work that we do every day, he says, is vanity. Go on to chapter 3 and verse 15. That which, is, that which is, has been already and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what has passed by. He says mere existence is vanity. Chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. Verses 7 and 8, Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked. And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. And then you go over to chapter 5 and verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with, or, with its income. This too is vanity. So industry, work, business, money is all vanity. Chapter 5 and verse 7, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness, rather fear God. He says, dreams and your, even your words are empty and futile. Chapter 6 and verse 12, For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? He says, the few days that we have here on this earth, that's vanity. Skip over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 8, he says, Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. So he lists the future as vanity. And then notice what he restates in chapter 12 and verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. You might think I'm crazy. Here I just went through this list of all these things that mean so much to so many people. And here the preacher says, all is vanity. It's all worthless, it's pointless, it's futile, it's vanity. And I say, that's one of the happiest things I've ever read. When considering the book of Ecclesiastes, you need to consider what the book's purpose might be. The book's purpose is not to depress you. The book's purpose is not to make you think that there's no point in life. His writing style is very blunt. 
but the book is written from the point of view of what life is like without God. Because without God, life is vanity. Without God, it's pointless. Turn over to chapter 4 again. Ecclesiastes 4. And notice what he says here. He says in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 2 and 3, So I I congratulate the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. He's saying here, he's pitying the living rather than the dead, because the dead have a better off. And better than both the living and the dead are the ones who have never been born. Under the umbrella of thinking what life is like without God. It's a strange way to go about presenting presenting this idea of joy. To think of the, the opposite of it. What life is like without God, all the vanity of this world without God. But the joy is that that does not have to be how life is. Life doesn't have to be this vanity. Life doesn't have to be this futility. Life doesn't have to be this pointless thing where it would be better if you were dead or never existed. It doesn't have to be like that. because of the opportunity we have to walk with God. And you find throughout Ecclesiastes not only these ideas of a vain life, but there are, there are little instructions plugged in there. Little instructions of how do you walk with God? Because we know Ecclesiastes is all leading up to our favorite verse in the book. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. But throughout the book, the preacher gives us little instructions. Just little snippets of how we walk with God and how we are to be with God so that life doesn't have to be vanity so that our life can be filled with hope. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. He's considering the majesty of God, that all the works of God are eternal. You contrast that with this idea that he has that all the works of man, everything done under the sun is vanity, but all the works of God are everlasting. Nothing can take away from that. And he presents this idea of reverence to God. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to see a few parallels in between... um, 
in between what the preacher has to say and what the New Testament has to say in the same way. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's the same idea that we serve a God who is eternal. We serve a God who has a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and everything he does is everlasting, and nothing can take away from that. There is purpose in what God does. And that's why the preacher says, show reverence, show respect, fear God. Because that is the first step to making sure your life has purpose. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 7. He says, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness, rather fear God. We looked at this earlier, but we kind of skipped over the rather fear God aspect of it. Because when you think of someone's, someone's dreams and someone's words, it's sort of an aspiration. What they're looking for, their dreams, we often uh, you know, think of the typical Disneyland, you know, where you can make all your dreams come true. And the preacher says, rather, fear God. Rather, put God first. You're familiar with Matthew 6 and verse 33. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's the same idea portrayed here that after, while showing reverence to God, God needs to be the top priority in life. God needs to be the first thing so that life as its purpose. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 16 and 8 through 18, it says, Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of another, for the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. This idea is presented of following God's way, following the path of God. We often reference the narrow way and the broad way. This idea of staying on this, on this narrow path that the Lord has presented us with, that we can make it to heaven. It's the same idea throughout the entire Bible, just presented in a little different way in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 8. Verses 12 through 13, it says, Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Perhaps hidden in these, in these verses is a trust. A trust in God. When you look how a righteous man will fear him openly and trust that God will be on his side. This idea 
that is replicated in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And notice that after that he says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. All of these things leading up, this reverence to God, this seeking God first, following God's way and this trust in God all leads up to the epitome of the whole book. The moment that we've all been waiting for, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole of man. This is the purpose of Ecclesiastes. Perhaps in a little pessimistic way. Presented life as what life could be like without God. And then ending with this great beam of hope. That if you fear God and keep his commandments... Life doesn't have to be like that. Life doesn't have to be this vain, futile thing if God is in it. A long time ago, man was presented with a problem. In the Garden of Eden, man was with God. And then after man sinned, He was separated, and from that point, that is when life became futile. That is when life became vain and pointless, as if you're grasping for the wind. But that wasn't God's intention. God fully intends for us to walk with him. God wants us to be with him, so that our lives have that purpose. Our lives can find that purpose in him. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why his son came and died, so that our lives would mean something. So there's a question. Do you see Ecclesiastes as this book of joy? Do you see Ecclesiastes as this way of seeing what life would be like without God, but thank God that it doesn't have to be, and thank God that it's not? I hope so, because that would, that would bring out a realization that you are walking with God. And you do fear God and keep his commandments, and that you obey him and trust in him and follow his path so that you know life has its purpose. The question boils down to, are you 
walking with God. I know this is the part where it's common to start shuffling around, you know, and I think, I know I do this as well, sometimes it seems like we kind of phase out during this moment, but it seems so strange because this is the most important, important part of any sermon. Because we're no longer, we're no longer talking about just any old subject. We're not just talking about life's vanity without God. Now we're talking about how we can get God back in our lives. We're talking about that salvation. We know the steps, the, we call them the steps of salvation, the, uh, the things that are instructed of us. To hear, believe, repent, confess, and then be baptized in water and then live a faithful life until death. It's so easy to spout, spout those things off, just, just to say them. But the question comes in, have you acted on those things? Can you for certain say that you are walking with God? That your life has purpose? And that one day you will reach heaven? I hope so. If not, the good news is that God provided us that way to come back to him. So that we can walk with him. Or perhaps you have been baptized and you are a Christian, but you've you've fallen away. You've fallen out of that walk with God. But there's also an opportunity to, to repent of your sins, to ask the church to pray for you and to pray with you so that you can be forgiven and return and start walking with God again. Ecclesiastes is a book of joy. One of the happiest books you could read. Because you read it and realize how vain life is without God, but also realize that God doesn't want it to be that way. And that's why he provided us an opportunity to walk with him. So whether you need the prayers of the church or if you want to become a Christian tonight, I say you come now as we stand and sing.